Thanks for joining us for another Sunday morning message from City Church. City Church meets downtown Iowa City, Iowa on the Pedestrian Mall on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. DM us on our Facebook page for more information or go to our website at www.iowacity.church. I'm going to start this morning just with our scripture passage. This is from Paul's letter to Galatian Christians in the book of Galatians chapter 3. And you can find the passage up on the, on the TV there. I'll go ahead and read it. This is from a translation I don't usually use, but it's easier, I think, to understand. This is from the New Living Translation. And we'll read his words to these Galatian Christians. He says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Right, we're going to come back to this passage in just a minute. How many of you guys had a library card when you were growing up? had a library that you could access, or you have a library card now. Um, before there was Amazon.com, the library was the fastest and most convenient way to get a book you wanted to read, right? Um, did you, anybody have library reading programs when you were a kid, summer reading programs? Yeah. So we did, and my kids did, and you know, when you do the summer reading program, you got to make sure you have a library card. You got to fill out the paperwork in case you um, don't have a card and got to register for the program. If you read enough books, right, you get the free t-shirt or you get the ice cream or whatever it is. And, um, you know, anytime you want to go check out a book, you got to make sure you have that library card with you. Uh, You had to make sure you didn't lose your card, right, or you'd have to, like, pay for a replacement. And then when you checked out books at the library back in the day, I know it's not the same now, but you uh, had to wait in line while the librarian like literally like date stamped every book that went through, right? And now there's just a barcode. But if you didn't finish your book by the time it was date stamped, what did you have to do? You had to go back to the library, right? And renew it, get another date stamp. Now you can do it all online. If you damage your book, you gotta pay for it, right? If you're late, you have to pay fines. And um, of course, like as a kid, if I wanted to go to the library, I had to have transportation. I needed a bus or a parent or a bicycle, and I had to go during the right hours. And then in 2009, there was this guy named Todd Bull, and he created something, the world's first little free library. Has anyone seen these little free libraries around town? They look like ginormous birdhouses on like a mailbox post. So. A little free library. You guys know what the enforceable rules are of a little free library? Yeah, actually, there are no enforceable rules. There aren't any, but that's that's good. I mean, that's the recommendation. Take a book, leave a book, right? Um, they aren't they aren't governed by rules. 
right? There are just these little offerings of reading grace sprinkled throughout the world, 100,000 different places with little free libraries. And you don't need a library card. You don't need an ID. There's no paperwork to fill out. There's no overdue fines. It's, they're open 24-7. You can always get a book. And in a little free library, anyone can take one and anyone can share one. And you don't have to share one in order to take one. Now, the public library system with the library cards and the fees and the paperwork and the due dates, they all served this wonderful purpose for us, right? They teach us that literacy is important, that a book is a really important resource in the community that we all can steward and have the privilege of, of stewarding. And all of those principles are super good and helpful and train us and teach us in how to take care of books that we borrow. And they've taught us so well that when little free libraries came along with no rules, simply operating on an honor system, guess what? People knew how to treat books. So like for the most part, uh, in a survey of like 337 owners or stewards of little free libraries, 70% said we've never had any vandalism at all. 24% said uh, we've had minor, minor incidents of vandalism. So 94% of these owners reported the whole community knew what to do with the Little Free Library. They knew how to take care of the books. Um, they didn't, you know, they understood that it was a gift. They valued the gift. They honored this gift. And they did it without all those enforceable rules and fines of the public library. So the relation, this is a long story, but the relationship between the public library and the little free libraries reminds me a lot of a relationship that we see in the Bible. Um, in the Old Testament, in the first section of your Bible, there's a part called the books of the law. It's the first five books of the Bible, and those contain both stories and some laws from God that God gave the Jewish people. And the laws explain how to be right with God um, by observing all these rules and regulations and moral codes and the laws explain what's right behavior and what's wrong behavior. And the laws also impose fines and penalties for breaking the law. Now, in the New Testament, like the last section of your Bible, um, we find this good news message that right relationship with God being considered right in his eyes um, comes about through faith in Jesus Christ. And that that rightness that we have in our standing with God is actually just a gift of grace. It's like the little free library, right? It's a gift of grace that we're given when we come to faith in Jesus. And in our passage for today, the Apostle Paul is telling these young Galatian Christians that the law or the books of the law are, are a great tutor. They're a great teacher. Um, but salvation, that right relationship with God and membership in the community of believers, it actually comes as a gift of God's grace when we put our faith in Jesus alone. And this is a gift that anyone can be given without having to fulfill all the rules first. But the problem is, you know, lots of people, um, not just Jewish people in the Bible, but lots of us, maybe you, have trouble accepting that your right relationship with God or someone else's right relationship with God comes just through faith in Jesus Christ and not through a diligent devotion to a set of rules. I think some of us might be rules people by nature. Is anybody like... Do rules comfort anyone? They comfort me. Like, I, I like to know what's right and wrong, who's, who's doing the right thing, who's not, how do things work? And in fact, this is a really weird phenomenon, but 
I've been a pastor for about 14 years. I've been a Christian for a long time. And I often see this phenomenon that we're seeing in Paul's letter that sometimes new Christians are the ones who are most likely to be excited about rules. Um, and I kind of explain it to myself like this. There's an excitement when we come to faith in Jesus. Maybe we experience God's love for the very first time. And I've seen new Christians want to soak up everything there is to know about God and, and the Christian life and, and faith and community with other believers. And that's not wrong. That's a really good thing, right? But when they run into rules or they run into guidelines or principles, um, sometimes people can get overzealous, right? Sometimes people can get some black and white thinking. Um, and all for a good cause, like all because they want to honor God, all because they want to do the right thing. But if our faith becomes all about rules and black and white thinking, then it can leave new believers feeling drained, feeling exhausted, reliant upon their own strength rather than God's grace. Um, you can slip into this mindset that, you know, now I have to earn God's grace. So it seems like that exact thing has happened to the Galatian Christians as well, many of whom are Jewish Christians. They were so excited when they first heard about this salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Paul had brought it to them. He told them Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, that his death on the cross and his shed blood was for the forgiveness of all sin. And they were pumped. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we've talked about lately, simply through repenting and putting their trust in Jesus. So, so earnest, so excited. Has anybody ever felt this way in their life of faith? Just excited about something God was doing or showing you? And Paul's letter to them indicates that they have slipped away from that, that they've embraced what Paul calls another gospel, like a different message of good news. And he asked them early on in the letter, after you receive the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit through your faith, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? In other words, why are you saying that people need to adhere to the law in order to be saved? Now, does anyone know what the most symbolic uh, uh, measure was for the Jewish people of fulfilling the law? Does anybody know what like, sort of like the pinnacle symbol was if somebody was a law follower? Do you want to say? No, nope. it was circumcision. So if you were a man, you were circumcised. If you had a baby boy, you got your baby boy circumcised. And circumcision was always this particular practice of the Jewish people, commanded by God. And it was just a sign to mark them, to help them remember, we're a people who have a covenant with God. We're going to do things differently. We're going to do things God's way. Um, it reminded them that God had made some promises to them, that God would be faithful to them, and that he would even bless the whole world through them. So circumcision just reminded the community every time a little boy was born that, the, that he was part of a people set aside to God. So it seems that this church community in Galatia, some of the Jewish Christians, or so-called Christians, had been pressuring non-Jewish Christians to become circumcised. So they wanted all the grown men to get circumcised but also to embrace other aspects of Jewish law. And Paul's response to this is to say um, in verse 23 of chapter 3, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard of the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak. 
until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way, he says. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Now he's saying that before they heard the salvation message and uh, before you heard the salvation message that faith through Christ is, is um, all that is needed, repentance and faith in Christ, the law was a guardian. And what Paul means by that, that word refers to a slave, a slave who would escort a child to school every day, a slave who would escort a child to a master. The, the law was like an escort service, you know, to protect this child. Um, so that it wouldn't get kidnapped on the way to school, so it wouldn't get attacked by robbers trying to steal his lunch money. Um, the escort, the guardian, made sure that this little child didn't get lost along the way. The law offered protection. It informed the Jewish people about what goodness looks like, about what righteousness looks like. Now, the other thing that the law did, kind of as a secondary thing, was it also revealed that nobody in the world was capable of fulfilling the whole law. That every single person in the world is a lawbreaker in some ways. We're just not able to fulfill all of the law of God. And the Jewish people weren't either. And the law of God, Jesus says, all of the commandments in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they boil down, Jesus says, to loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, the law was a super helpful teacher so that they could learn what it looks like to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. But the Jewish people became painfully aware that they still would always fall short of every lesson about God's standard of righteousness. That's why in Paul's letter to a different church, the Ephesians, Paul says it this way, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of you can boast about it. I don't know that anyone in this room grew up religiously Jewish. Did anyone here grow up Jewish? I, I didn't think so. Um, but most of us have received guidelines or rules associated with some religion or Christianity specifically that have been passed on to us. You know, maybe. Um, these rules have been unspoken, or maybe they've been clearly articulated to you um, by your communities of faith, by relatives, by religious leaders, or friends, or authors, or podcasters, you know, whoever you're listening to. And if I pull out some examples of rules that get passed on about the Christian faith, you might scoff at some of them because they're so outside your cultural context. You think, well, that's silly. I would never do that. Um, but, but for instance, in some cultural contexts, in some Christian communities, how you dress or how you wear your hair, whether you have a beard or not, if you're a married man, um, whether you're a man who works outside the home or whether you're a, a woman who works inside the home or not, actually identifies you as whether you are part of the family of believers. In other communities, there might be you know, guidelines about going to R-rated movies or swearing or drinking. Like, these are lifestyle behaviors that people might say mark you as being in or out. But in our cultural context today, especially in Iowa City, those things don't seem super relevant to most of us. It's more likely that 
you might possibly define true Christians by whether they have a particular stance or opinion on a social issue. So whether they are pro-life or pro-choice, whether they vote Republican or they vote Democrat, whether they support gun ownership reforms or not, we might feel tempted to you know, identify true Christians based on social stances and social opinions. A friend of mine who pastors a church in California in a more liberal area, he says he often has conversations with Christians who identify themselves as more liberal, and he will have a conversation that looks a little bit like this. They will say, oh, we are a super inclusive church, and we value diversity. And he will ask, oh, so does that mean you have a lot of conservatives in your church? And they will go, uh, no, <laughs> um, because they've defined true Christian, like who's in or out by what political stance they have. And political allegiance in our day has really come to um, be a thing that we often use to, to you know, define ourselves as being rightly in line with God, as being true people of God. And while there are certainly great biblical principles, things we can learn from scripture that speak to issues like abortion and speak to issues like gun control, um, principles that have to do with caring for your own body and caring for your neighbor, um, none of these practices, none of these opinions make us right with God. None of them help us earn a gift of grace when we put our faith in Jesus. Paul goes on in our passage with these words. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all, you, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And uh, now, oh, I lost my place. You are one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. One of the Jewish forefathers of the faith, you guys know about Father Abraham, heard about Abraham in the Bible. He was given this promise by God that God was going to bless the whole world through his descendants. Um, Abraham's descendants turn out to be the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And down through Abraham's line comes Jesus comes God in the flesh, comes God with us, and Jesus becomes the blessing to the whole world through Abraham's line. Of course, Abraham had no idea how God was going to bless the whole world through his descendants. He didn't know how all the people of the world would, would be blessed, but Paul is saying, this is how. All of you guys are heirs of the promise to Abraham, which actually happened before there was any law. The promise God made to Abraham happened before. Any rules were given. Any law was given. And the promise didn't depend on Abraham doing anything other than trusting in God. You get to be blessed. Each one of you gets to be blessed because of God's faithfulness to Abraham and God's promise way back thousands of years ago. And because this blessing is for the whole world, for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, it means that we have unity in diversity that whether you are male or female, whether you are Jewish or non-Jewish, whether you are um, you know, African or Latino or Caucasian, uh, 
Whether you are, Paul says, slave or free, this promise unites you to everyone else who has received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. I love that this, this passage was part of the lectionary on June 19th, which is Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth, in case you guys don't know, it's the date that the last enslaved people in Texas heard the news that they were free, that they were legally free, but it took about two and a half months for the news to reach those that last remnant of slaves in Texas. And freedom for, for those who are enslaved is a practical implication of what Paul is talking about, that we are equal recipients of God's grace. We are equal recipients in his eyes. So Paul says, if you've put on Christ, you've put on these new clothes that connect you with everyone else. Now, our mission at City Church is to reveal the love of God to each other and to the world around us. And this does look like each of you who are sitting here today being able to see that not only is your relationship with God a pure act of grace, but your neighbor's relationship with God is also unmerited. It's a pure act of grace. Um, It looks like us being able to see that God's love for other people is not something that they need to earn, even if you disagree with them, even if you find differences in culture and opinion, that God loves the other people we are in community with. He loves other Christians just because he loves them. And he loves you just because he loves you, not because any of us earned it, not because we're more right than someone else. And there really is such great freedom in knowing this because It gives us the opportunity, if we can really believe that, it gives us the opportunity to relax our judgment a little bit, um, to relax into the grace of God. We can kind of shed our black and white thinking. We can kind of shed our love for hierarchy. God loves you because he loves you. God wanted you close to him before you even knew God existed. So as, as we, you know, if you're somebody who identifies with, you know, an obsession over rules or even in your walk with God, worrying about whether you're right enough, whether you've, you know, you're good enough, um, feeling bad because you know you're not, um, we can let go also of that obsession uh, of, you know, whether we're okay with God. We can trust that his mercy is enough and take advantage of these little free libraries of grace, right, that he's given us. But there is a faithful response to this gift. So while we don't need the law as our guardian, this, a gift of this magnitude really invites us to think about what a good response would be, what a faithful response would be. When somebody gives me a really meaningful gift, or even a small gift, I usually send a thank you card. I, I do something in response because I have this gratitude. Like, I want them to know how meaningful it is to me. And I believe that God's gift of grace to us, of being in right standing with him, invites us to live a life that is faithful in response to God. And I'm going to give you guys three invitations today that I think we have. Um, There's probably more, but these are three I just want to share with you. Um, Three invitations we have in response to God's grace. The first one is to consider other believers to be equal recipients of God's grace kind of mentioned that already, despite your differences. The second invitation we have 
is to offer yourself as an instrument of goodness and righteousness. We are invited to offer ourselves as an instrument of goodness and righteousness. Sin actually doesn't go away. Like, we still sin as followers of Jesus. There are still things that are right and wrong. And in his letter to the Romans, Paul is talking about this amazing grace of God that that covers over sin and forgives sin and how abundant it is. But then he rhetorically asks this question. He goes in Romans chapter 6, what should we say then? Should we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Like, should we just keep sinning because we'll just get more grace? By no means, he says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then a few verses before he he says this in verses 11 through 13, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Don't let it have have control in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. We, we pray the prayer of St. Francis at the end of every service here. And our prayer always is, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your goodness. Make me an instrument of your righteousness. And so that is our invitation to then look at our lives as instruments that we offer to God of goodness. And then the third, the third invitation I think we have is to value God's law appropriately. We're not expected to follow all of the contextual, cultural, ceremonial regulations of the Israelites from thousands of years ago, but there are moral principles and commandments that teach us about what is right and what is wrong. Um, some people would like to say, we don't need to do anything with the Old Testament. We just only look at the New Testament. We just listen to Jesus. Um, I would say we look at Jesus first, and we look at the Old Testament through Jesus' eyes. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. For Jesus, the Old Testament was scripture. But he had his own unique spin on it. He saw it a particular way. And so our invitation is to look at the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus, We can't throw them away. They have relevance because Jesus valued them and he taught from them. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to his mentee, Timothy, he said all scripture, and the only scripture they had was the Old Testament. He said all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So the way we, the way we can even know that we're offering our, ourselves to God as an instrument of goodness is because scripture tells us what goodness looks like. It tells us what, what righteousness looks like. So the three invitations, consider other believers to be equal recipients of God's grace alongside you. Offer yourself to God as an instrument of goodness and righteousness and value the law of God appropriately, the way that Jesus did. 
I don't know, you know, how you stack up against these invitations. I don't know if some of these invitations seem difficult to you. Um, I don't know if you're hearing them and you're thinking, yeah, like I, I think I'm, I'm on track with that. I think I'm, I'm doing well with this one invitation. Um, but one opportunity we can take right now before we pray a prayer of confession together is just to examine our own hearts before we come to confession and communion. Um, when we examine our own hearts, we're just kind of looking within, asking the Holy Spirit, hey, will you shine a light on our hearts? Could you show me if I'm a little, I'm off track here, if there's like some way I've been thinking that is just not the way you want me to think, if there's some way I've fallen short, Lord, um, I want to confess it to you. I, I want to ask for your help. I want to ask for your forgiveness. We're not saved by confessing our sin every day. We don't get re-saved, but this is also an appropriate response to this gift of God's grace. We offer confession and ask for help, not because we're afraid God doesn't love us, we're afraid of God, but because he does. So I'm gonna give us about 30 seconds just to examine our own hearts. Is there anything we wanna whisper to God right now before we pray together? Maybe God is just showing you that there's someone you need to forgive or there's some bitterness in your heart or maybe you've been ignoring um, something you know is right. You haven't done it. Or maybe you've done something you know that you shouldn't and, um, or you've spoken in a way that's hurt the heart of someone else or hurt God. You just have an opportunity to whisper that to him. And then I invite you to pray this prayer of confession along with me. The words will be up on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. We're now going to turn to communion, so I invite you to start working on these little wrappers. Sometimes they take a while. But communion is where we remember the love of God shown to us through Jesus. And we remember that, that the cross was this place where, as Brian Zahn says, God reclaimed creation, where Jesus refounded the world. Instead of the world being organized around a system of violence and retribution and sin and greed, at the cross, the world was refounded on the love of God, expressed in forgiveness. And this forgiveness is, is uh, it is recycled, you know, it recycles sin, turns it into grace and mercy. The Apostle Paul reminded early Christians of how Jesus instructed his followers to take communion. I'm going to read that to you today. He said, on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, 
take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I invite you to take the little wafer, and we do that together in remembrance of Jesus today. Paul continued on, and he said that after supper, Jesus took the cup of wine, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whatever you, whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. So let's drink for the remembrance of Jesus' gift of the forgiveness of sins. Will you pray with me just for a moment? Father, I thank you that you made us for yourself and you love us. And that, you know, before we even knew what sin was, before we even knew who you were, you sent Jesus, your, your son, to share our human nature and to live and to die as one of us in order to reconcile us to you. Lord, I pray for each person in this room that a time of refreshing would come into their lives as they draw close to you. Lord, that they would experience your Holy Spirit daily, that um, they would be drawn into loving communion with you, that they would hear your voice and seek to follow you and to walk in your ways. Lord, I pray that you strengthen us, that you give us um, tenacity and courage uh, to, to follow you into any places that seem difficult or costly. We love you. And we say this all in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like more information about our City Church community, go online to www.iowacity.church.